There are just a few weeks left in our series, The Parables of Jesus. And today we turn the page to our next story, The Vineyard Owner's Son. And this is a tragic tale about the wrong way to inherit the kingdom of God, the wrong way to get the good life, the life of joy, the life of peace, where you have all the comforts of home, where there is a city that is ruled by love, where laughter fills the streets and wonder is in the sky. And we're all searching for this Edenic mountain, our home in the distance. And we dream of this place, but we're barred from it. Remaining in this prison, seeming that we are forced to see something that will never be ours. And so we begin to scrape and claw for it knowing there is something that we want that we will never get. And so tragically, in humanity's desperation for this new world, we reach through the bars and we do something that is an unholy catastrophe. If other worlds existed, they'd tell stories of the great tragedy that happened on the earth. Here's Jesus' version of that story. Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him. And sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. And sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. And the owner of the vineyard said, what shall we do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him. They said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. First point, the tyrant farmers. So this vineyard represents the kingdom of God. It represents the good life of joy and peace. Everything that you want, long for, desire, and crave is the vineyard. And you can have it now, at least in part. And you can claim it 
as your own. But how do you claim heaven? How do you put your flag in paradise? Well, that's the question. And we have been doing it the wrong way since the beginning. And here's the mistake we keep making. We keep trying to take the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom without the king. The kingdom belongs to the king, and he is the heir. And the irony of it all is that he has come to share it with us. But instead of sharing it with him, we don't trust him. That's our tragedy. In this parable, the farmers of the vineyard are renters. They don't own it. And it's like they keep on looking into someone else's good life. Working in the kingdom that will never be theirs. And the irony is it's theirs. Like the king is already sharing it with them. The vineyard owner is already letting them be in this vineyard. And when he comes, he comes to share. But instead, well, they run him out or maybe do something worse. But they can justify their actions. And we all do this. We're constantly justifying the things that we do. We deserve the good life. So we do things to get it. It's okay. I deserve this. Did you know there are studies that show one of the most stressful jobs is being a pastor? And then did you know that starting a church is even more stressful? Now, why did I just do that? Because that made you uncomfortable, I'm sure. Like, what am I up to? Well, I'll tell you. Did you know that you could do a Google search on your job, and you will likely find that you have the most stressful job in all of America? And did you know that if you are a stay-at-home mother, you could do a Google search, and Google will tell you plenty of times that you have the most stressful job in all of America? It seems that no matter what we do, we think we have the most difficult job that there is. And, well, we work hard. We have this badge of honor that we wear from our suffering in the job that we have, even when we don't like it. Look at me, but look, I'm not getting the good life. Ah, oh, but I deserve it. And so now we're becoming a victim of this reality that we're in. But also, this other thing happens to us. We begin to radiate with this jealousy over all the people that we see that have the good life that's being withheld from us. And we're convinced that they have not worked as hard. Life has been much easier for them. So we secretly hate them. But you would never tell your friend that. And so it goes like this. You have these endeavors in your life for your career, for your family, and you start climbing the mountain. And on the top is the joy that you have received, everything you are chasing. And you're, do, you're going, like, and it's going well. You found the right path. Things are working well. And then all of a sudden, someone comes up next to you that's moving up this mountain a bit quicker than you. Maybe people are praising them a little bit more than they're praising you, and you watch them go past. Oh, no. Or there are people who are already up at the top of that mountain, and their, their life was easier than yours. 
And all of a sudden, what happens to you is this mountain in your mind begins to grow larger. And joy seems so much further away. And everything you've been chasing is lost. And now you don't even want to go on this journey anymore because other people are being more successful than you. And so you go and find another mountain to climb. And the same thing's going to happen all over again because you're climbing the wrong mountain. And as you're doing this, you look around and you're like, hey, I'm on the hamster wheel. Like life is hard, anxiety is growing, and as it's happening, it's making you hate God. Because look at all these successful people that have more than you. And so you're shaking your fist. And what you're doing right now is you're, you're killing God a bit in your life. You're forcing him out because you think others have what you don't. Like, so, so this happens to me. Like, I look at other pastors' social media posts, and I'm like, oh, I got to work really hard right now to love you, my friend. Because I do this comparison thing. You do the same thing, I mean, with your career, with your life, and, and then, then you start thinking this. You don't know their life. You don't know their pain. You don't know what's happening tomorrow for them. And it makes you feel a little bit better. And then I ask, isn't that sad that when we think someone doesn't have it as good as it appears, it makes us feel a little bit better? Like, what's wrong with us that we would do something like that? And, I, you know, I do want you to know something. You, you can have joy and peace right now. Like, this is, this is the message of Christianity. There is a wellspring of joy and peace that's available to you no matter the circumstance that you are in, in the well of Christ. But you have to go to him. But you're not going to go to him because you're mad at him. How do you get it? And, you know, you got to be patient with it. And, well, this becomes another problem because we don't like to be patient. So in our lack of patience, we become desperate. And then we do something stupid. We run from a spouse who's maybe great, maybe not so great all the time, but maybe you're not so great all the time. We run from a perfectly good career, or maybe the career isn't perfect, but you're not perfect either. I mean, you work at that place. You are contributing to the way that it is. We abandon our kids, maybe not for real, but we're never quite present with them. We become addicted to things to numb us so we might escape. These are simply misplaced prayers. You know, you're mad at God, and so you should go to him in prayer, but you're mad at him. And so instead, you misplace those prayers with addictions. And then we just make things worse. Because instead of turning to the God that gives us joy, we chase our happiness in things that aren't designed to make us happy. I've been watching some throwback movies with the kids. Uh, the Sandlot and Mighty Ducks. And in the sandlot, Scott Smalls, he's lost his dad. And now he's got this 
his mom got remarried. He's got this new dad, and he doesn't really have the freedom yet to come running up to this new dad of his, and he wants to play catch with him, but he doesn't know how to ask him. He wants to say, I love you, but he's not really sure how. He's not really sure what to call him. And so he kind of feels like a fish out of water. And also he's in this new town and he has no friends. And so his mom keeps saying, go make some friends, go make some friends. And so he goes out on this baseball field to try to make some friends. And they ridicule him and mock him and make fun of him because he does not know how to play baseball. But he longs for some acceptance. And so he thinks, man, if I could get good at baseball, I'll have the good life. And I want to ask this new dad of mine, but I'm not really sure how to do it. So he's living in this tension, and he can't quite get the courage to do much. And he wants this acceptance from these potential friends, but it's all very fragile. This acceptance that you're chasing in this life is a bit fragile the same way. Because on the Mount of Paradise, love is not based off of your abilities. It's not based off of your accomplishments. It's just given a free love. And that is all too rare to find here. And because you're starving for it, you settle for false loves, lesser loves. In The Mighty Ducks, Gordon Bombay is this star hockey athlete as a child. And he, too, has lost his father. And he puts all of his admiration in his hockey coach, and his hockey coach has a a slogan to live by, win, win, win. Sacrifice your character for the sake of the win. Sacrifice respect for others for the sake of the win. But he admires his coach. And so he's taking the last shot, the the championship game, and he misses. And, And his coach is so disappointed in him, he lets him know that. And so Gordon Bombay feels like the kingdom everything he's chasing is lost so he now hates hockey and as he grows older he's forced to coach these misfit children in hockey and so he has to rediscover his love for the game and learn the real reason to play it is not just simply to win but also he's got to learn some character and respect for others you've heard this saying It's not about whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. And we say that to our kids. We don't know why we say that to our kids, but it's something instinctually in us to say that. So so why do we say it? Because we are in a larger game. The kingdom. We're all searching for it. It's the bigger game. We know deep down that the kingdom is not found on the field or the hockey rink or whatever it might be, but it can be found through it. So, so you think about the field, it's like a test of character. Like it's, it's testing you like in your chase for the win, will you lose yourself in you chasing the wind? Can you find who you really are? In other words, here's the point of all these stories. Don't try to find the kingdom in the place where you can be the king. It is not there. People throughout your life, they have, they have guided you in a lot of ways to what you're doing right now because they have told you you're good at something. 
they've praised you for certain things, and you say, well, this must be what I should do. And maybe that's good advice. Go do the things that you're being praised for. But your temptation will always be to use that thing to elevate yourself to where you become the king of that place. And as soon as you do that, you lose all the treasures of the kingdom because you're not good enough as a king. You need a better king who can bring the kingdom. That's the cautionary tale of our story today. We're desperate for the good life. And we don't trust that God's going to give it to us. So instead of being a renter who sees the king coming and says, this is the heir, and the heir is good, we can trust him, and he will share all that he has with us because he told us he's going to do it. Instead, we kill him. The tragedy is that God has already made you kings and queens. It's all the way back in Genesis 1. You will have dominion. It's the language of what kings and queens do. It is always better to be a lesser king in the kingdom of God than the king of your own worn down, broken kingdom. In the parable, the vineyard owner sends his servants. Now, this is kind of representing the prophets of old, and they beat him and run him off. So it's a test. Like, the king or the vineyard owner owns the vineyard. It's his. And so he sends a servant and says, hey, all this stuff that's mine, will you share it with me? Like, what? It's his. He can claim it. But he's testing the workers, the renters, to say, will you share what is already mine? They say, no. They run off the servants. And this happens over and over until the owner of the vineyard sends his son, the prince of heaven, And he's killed. Who is this that we just killed? Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118 and from Isaiah 814. And in Isaiah, we are told, listen to this. God will become a sanctuary and stone of offense to Israel. God will become this. God will become the stone. Jesus just claimed to be the stone. So Jesus just claimed to be God. This is blasphemy if it's not true. And Jesus knows what he just did. He's read the Old Testament. He knows that the Old Testament says there is but one God. And if anybody claims to be equal with God, he will be stoned to death. But he said this. This is worthy of death if it's a lie. But if it's true... It means humanity just killed God. Why would an all-knowing, all-powerful God allow this to happen? Because he's playing the larger game. Our next point. In the 1980s, this is the vulnerable king. In the 1980s, the king of Jordan got word that there were 75 rebel officers who were plotting to overthrow his kingship and the kingdom. And his security officer said, should we surround these plotters and arrest them? And he said, no, bring me a helicopter. 
So he gets on this helicopter all alone with the pilot. The pilot lands next to the barracks where all this is happening. And he says to the pilot, I'm leaving. I'm going to go in there. If you hear a gunshot, get out of here. Leave me. And so all of a sudden, this king walks into the room unarmed where all of these plotters are. And here's what he says. Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that you are meeting here tonight to finalize your plans to overthrow the government, take over the country, and install a military dictator. If you do this, the country will break apart, and we will be plunged into civil war. Tens of thousands of innocent people will die. There is no need for this. Here I am. Kill me and proceed. That way, only one man will die. After a moment of stunned silence... All at one, they rush the king and kiss his hands and his feet and pledge their devotion to him for the rest of their lives. He was totally vulnerable before these rebels, and it drew out of them character. It drew out of them honor. They were desperate. For change, And they thought the king was the problem, but the king was the, always the solution. And Jesus does the same thing with us, except we kill him. And, you know, in this parable, when the farmers kept beating the servants, the owner of the vineyard and his son had every right to go and have these renters arrested at the least. But they don't do that. The owner sends the son and he becomes totally vulnerable in the face of violence. And then the owner thinks to himself, you know, I'm going to do this because perhaps they will respect my son. Now, the Greek word that we translate as respect, respect's not quite the right word. In order to understand this Greek word, the virtue of this word, it, it kind of means something like this, like, Patience, long-suffering, risk-taking with compassion and self-emptying. Now, the whole reason for that is to then shame the wrongdoers, but not just leave it at them shaming. They're being changed. They're seeing the compassion, the risk, the vulnerability of the king, and then it changes them from the inside out. Jesus could have brought the power of heaven down upon humanity, but he didn't. He left all of his glory aside. But even still, I want you to see something. Even with all of his glory laid aside, he walks, this just happens just before this parable, he walks into the temple. And humanity's doing some vile things in the temple. And so Jesus flips over the tables. He's like, what are you doing? This is the house of my father. And then he proceeds to somehow, as one man, basically hold off this 35-acre temple and all of its surroundings. He shut down the, sac the whole entire sacrificial system that day, which is unheard of. And I, you know, perhaps this is a foreshadowing. Jesus is like, did you see me shut down the sacrificial system for that day? Well, on the cross, he's saying, 
I just shut it down forever because I'm the greater sacrifice. And that is why he comes unarmed. Not just for the riskiness of his grace, but he does it so he will die. His mission was to die. He comes with love and humanity looks in the face of love and kills it. The unarmed son come to die, the climax of the parable. He's entering in, well, look, your sin sent him into death. He would use your sin to do away with death and sin. It's genius. He's playing the larger game. And so I just want you to see you're doing the same thing every day that these vineyard tenants or renters are doing. Think of the disrespect you are throwing upon the king every time you sin. The same sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, you're playing with it. You're dancing with it. Every sin, it's a small act of tyranny. But how are you going to stop the addiction? How are you going to stop the lust? How are you going to stop the jealousy? You've tried to master it, and it isn't working. There is but one way. And it is knowing the larger plan that he would use your sin to enter into death, to do away with sin and death. Because inside of death, because he comes to us, he is not wielding the power of heaven. He has laid it down. But within death, he takes it up again. He doesn't direct it to you. He directs it to your sin and to death. And that same power by faith that rose Christ up from the dead lives within you. I want you to think about that power that not only created all things, but actually like rebelled against death, broke up out of it and beat death is in you. The heavenly strength that rose Christ from the dead, you can now use to fight against the sin in your life that keeps plaguing you. But look at what we do. We keep seeing our sin and we keep trying to master, master it. And as we try to master our sin it is another way of denying Christ. It's another way of denying the king. It's like he's right here and it's like we kill him in a way, like push him out. Like, I got this. Do you? Like, do you have this? Embrace him. Drink deep from the well of his love and his power. And how do you do that? You crown him king every day. Just keep crowning him. You're my king. You're my king. You're my king. The power is not mine. It is yours. And then he shares all that he has with you. He's the only king that's going to do it. Even your own power, you get it, and you don't share it with yourself. Because one, you don't know what to do with it, but two, you're like a completely different person tomorrow than you are today. Like, we're crazy. So just 
go to him. And our verse says that those who reject him are crushed by the stone, but those who embrace him inherit the kingdom. Now, you know, that, that sounds harsh, but let's just trace out the, the logic to it. If you're building your own kingdom and you aren't eternal, like you're not the king of eternity, then everything you build will one day crumble and be gone and will turn to dust. But if, if the miracle is true, if God really has come to die and rise and live for us and make this kingdom, then that means the kingdom is eternal because he is eternal. And so if you go to him and he gives you all that is his, then everything that is his that he gives you becomes eternal. And so that means right now there can be work in your life that you could be doing that will echo on and on into eternity because you're not building your kingdom but his. That means what you do matters. It's not just burned up by the sun one day. It lives on because it's made of the stuff of heaven right now. Only those, this is our last point, the kingdom dwellers, only those who lay down the kingdom, their own kingdom, are permitted to take hold of the kingdom of God. Because, well, I, I suppose you need two hands to hold on to the kingdom of God. You'll get stretched if you try to hold his kingdom in your own. So you just, like, go away my kingdom. I'm taking the kingdom of God. Only those who lay down their own story are permitted to be written into the greater story and claim it as their own. Only those who lay down the comforts that they seek are permitted to the finer comforts of the kingdom. Only those who lay down their own power are permitted to drink from the well of his power. Only those who lay down their life are permitted to take it up again at the turn of the age. I want you to see what he's doing here. Because in order, I mean, everything that you want, everything that you long for, all of your comforts, he's telling you to abandon it all. Like, it's an impossible task almost. And what he's doing is saying, I took the risk on you, now I want you to take the risk with me. This feeling of an unabandoned trust it's a test of the heart, it's a test of courage, and it's a test of the will. Because it's faith. And it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because in your mind, you have everything right here in your hand that you want, in a way. You're chasing it. You see it up on the mountain in this world or whatever. And he says, just bury it and come to me. And, you know, he's not really holding anything. He's just like, come to me. Like, what about the kingdom? Yeah, it's yours. Can I see it? No, come to me first. Yeah, but can I just, like, get a little glimmer? No, come to me first. Ooh, that's tough. But he took the risk on us, and so now he says, take the risk on me. So will you do it? Can you do it? And how can you trust him? Because he came for you. And he didn't come 
carrying the weapons of heaven. He didn't come with the might of the stars. He didn't come with flames of fire. He came vulnerable and he came naked. He came risking everything on you. And it led to his death. But it was worth it because it was the plan all along. He's playing the bigger game. And so he would use our sin. He would use our cravings. And he would use what we have done to be directed right at him, the son of God, come into the world. And he would use it to enter into death. And there he would rise up out of it. And then, you know, there's a strength in you now. Do you believe this? Because you can tap into his strength. And so that means that whatever you're facing right now, and I know you guys, and I know some of you are going through a lot. Just take a step back. Drink from the well. Stand up with his strength and face what's before you. Just take a step back. Drink from the well. Be filled with his joy and peace and face What's before you? And if the king comes to you today, abandon your kingdom completely and go run up to him, bow to him, kiss his hands, kiss his feet, and enter the gates with songs of praise. Let's pray. God, we pray that your word to us here and now, it would be words of hope, words of healing, words that make us know we are loved. And God, I pray that these words would ring true in our hearts. That they wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but they would stick and move into our being. Because we need you, God. So come and give us ears to hear and eyes to see this truth. Help us hold it and live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.